Hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Crooked Illness. If you are new here, my name is Paris Brinkevich, and I am the creator and host of the Crooked Illness podcast, where we get into all things health-related. The primary focus of the podcast within the umbrella of health-related topics is mental health and mindset. I began Crooked Illness as a way to motivate, inspire, empower, and educate people on these interesting topics. My background and passion for starting Crooked Illness stems from the field of psychology. After completing both my BA in psychology and MBA in healthcare administration, my passion for mental health only continued to grow. As a result of this, I decided to start Crooked Illness to bring more awareness, tips, and conversations to the table about these topics. I offer my perspective on the work I've done and how it inspired me to begin this podcast. Along with this perspective, I also speak about my personal experience with mental health and how I use those experiences to help educate, inspire, and motivate others. I really enjoy doing interviews and connecting with people who also love to discuss and learn more about mental health. If you would like to learn more, become a guest, or connect, feel free to reach out to me by shooting me a message on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, or to my email of crookedillness at gmail.com. Hello, you guys. Thank you so much for deciding to tune into this episode. As you guys can see, it is called Being Bipolar. And I wanted to create this episode with my guest, who I will be introducing to you guys in a moment. Um, but I really wanted to have her come on here because we connected at, a, at an event recently that was put on by a friend of mine named Jay, who is also a podcaster. He has the Hard Parking Podcast, and he had this event that he had let, let me know was going on. It was uh, an event that is a suicide prevention event in the car community called A Reason to Stay. And this is where I met my guest for this episode. And I really wanted her to come on and share about her experiences and her story with being bipolar because she shared with me in a conversation that we had separately that she was also diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And we have a lot of similarities in our stories. And I really wanted to have her share what she got out of her experience, what has been helpful to her, what has hurt her, what her lessons were. And we also really wanted to also both share our own perspectives on what people think of us when we tell them, if we choose to tell them that we are also bipolar, like what is that experience like? How do people react? How do they respond? How do they take it? What does that mean to them? And also what our experiences were with stigma. So stigma in the terms of when we were diagnosed early on, stigma before we even knew really what bipolar disorder was, and what stigma, the role stigma plays in our lives now. So both of us are also working towards continuing to end the stigma associated with mental illness. Um, I'm doing that through the podcast, having conversations with all the awesome guests that I'm having on, hearing their stories, hearing their takeaways, hearing the lessons that they learned. And my guest is doing that through her business, which she does with organizing events and different things like that, that are dedicated towards helping other people and raising money for different causes and awareness for different things. So that was why I was so excited to do this episode and really hear you know, her experiences because she has a lot of really good stories stories, really good insight and things that I would be, I thought would be super helpful to someone listening to this who wants to learn more about 
what bipolar disorder is like from me and my guests who have it, have lived it, and had different experiences related to that. So if you want to learn more about that, this is a, a good episode for you to hear about our experiences and a little bit more about our story. And also to kind of hear you know, the reason that we are deciding to share this and just, you know, again, to continue to bring more awareness to uh, mental health in general, mental, mental health, mental illness, and to really kind of continue this conversation. So I was really excited to put this out there and just wanted to give you guys a little bit of background on what this episode is and what we're going to be getting into. So our experiences, our story with bipolar disorder, our experiences with stigma, um, our per our experiences with perception of people in our lives who, you know, with what they thought of when they found out that we were bipolar and how they, you know, what, what their thoughts on, thoughts on that were. Um, and yeah, so different things like that. So I hope that you guys really enjoy this episode as always and have a great, great day. All right. Bye guys. Hello, 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 you guys, and welcome back to a new episode of Crooked Illness. Looking at today's title, you guys can see that we are going to be getting into being bipolar today. Here to have this conversation with me is Mimi, founder of Rad or Die, a business consulting and event coordination business specializing mainly in the automotive industry. Mimi was also a musician and actress in the past, but enjoys hosting events to help those in need. I was lucky to connect with Mimi through my friend Jay, who is the host of the Hard Parking podcast. I really wanted Mimi to join me in this conversation after we connected at a, at a really incredible event we will talk about later on in this episode that was for suicide prevention. So without further ado, welcome Mimi to the podcast. You have like a little crowd like button you can yes. hit where it's like, gotta hit the applause. <laughs> Mimi is here and we are ready to do this. So I want to, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you about this. Talk to me about the a reason to stay event, the one that we met at and what your involvement in this event was and what it means to you. So um, in 2018, I had a brief com phone conversation with Maggie um, because she kind of, we kind of connected through my producer who um, suggested that one of my songs that I put out that I perform at one of their um, events. And in talking to Maggie at the time, I was going through some serious therapy. And one of the things that the therapist had mentioned to me is, you know, when you wake up in the morning, make sure you're doing positive affirmations and think of your reasons to stay. And I was like, oh, I love that. Like that whole reason to stay thing really hit me hard. And fast forward to, you know, 2020, a couple weeks prior to the actual event, uh, we had lost a good three people in the community to suicide. One who's very well connected in the community. Um, you know, I would say he's a, probably like the male version of me. From my understanding, he ran a team. He was like really um, well, like well known in the the community for doing really positive things. And he was always upbeat. Like I got to meet his mom at a reason to stay. We'll talk about that later, but. Um, he was one of those people that you had never thought was struggling. And so his, his, um, his death really hit everyone really hard. And I had all these people DMing me like, when are you doing your next suicide awareness event? Because I did one last year. Yeah. And 
I said, you know, I, I'm feeling you guys. I feel like with the pandemic, with what, you know, I'm experiencing, what everyone is experiencing, it's got a really heavy mental impact on everyone with the isolation. Um, and I thought, wow, what if I just do something that has something to do with a reason to stay? So with COVID and everything else, it's really hard to do an event in one, you know, single location right now, oh, yeah. especially yeah. something that in the moment was impacting the community so heavily, I knew it would be a really big event. The last charity event I was um, involved with, it was um, with AZ Elites and a lot of the same people that you saw at that event, there was over 600 cars there. And so I was like, we, we need to, a really big lot. And, and I AZ just, Elites, is AZ Elites, uh, are they another car community? They're a car team okay. um, or car club. Uh, they're fairly new. I think um, in March, I want to say I did an anti-donut donut meet. And that was like the last event I could really do with COVID yeah. um, at one of the locations that I did it at. But um, that was the first time I met a lot of them. And their team then just had a few members. Now I think they're like a couple hundred. And they're, you know, they're kind of... Um, they've become very close friends of mine and they've been um, really into doing charity events as well. So like I said, they were one of a few teams um, that we'll probably mention at some point in time in this uh, podcast or episode, but uh, they've reached out and said, you know, let's, let's collaborate and do a suicide awareness event. So I just started reaching out to all of the businesses that I kind of work with or I know someone at. I just started really kind of leveraging my connections and um, said, you know, a lot of people were really scared. A lot of the business owners were like, I don't know. You know, I had one tell me their legal team wouldn't allow more than 50 people, you know, on the lot or more than 10 people in the building. And I said, well, maybe I can make this work if we do it like a drive-a-thon or like a marathon. And, yeah. and the outside part too, because I remember, you know, yeah. going, actually going to the event, you know, mm -hmm. after Jay invited me and seeing, you know, all the different people there from the car community and also seeing that car, the blue, yeah. the blue car with yeah. the reason to stay. So I like, I like how you talk about, you know, the idea for this coming from, you know, when you were in therapy and your therapist asking you, what is your reasons to stay? Positive yeah. affirmations. And where's that coming from and how you really combine that with what you love, which is the car community. How did you, how, you combine the two of them? So yeah. I love, I love, I want to, uh, to, you to talk about the car, that car where you go yeah. up and you sign it. So tell me a little bit about that. So I was thinking about a canvas. Like originally we were talking about, and I called Jay and I was like, Jay, I want to do this event. I would love to have one auto, you know, be involved. I'm also on the one auto council, but I always go to Jay and toss around ideas with him. And he was like, I would love to be involved. So um, Jay, unfortunately recently lost a friend with suicide too. And I think it was one of the first ones he's experienced. So it just seemed like it was like, like the, it's always good time to talk about mental health. But at this time, it just seemed like so many people were being impacted by it. So it was, um, you know, a matter of conversation of thinking about how we could raise money, raise awareness, move from one location to the next in a way that made sense. And my brain is like really creative. So my brain started going, what if I put a decal on the side of this car and we just have everybody write on it? And then it was like, well, who are we going to find to donate their car, be it paint or wrap? So I was originally going to do my car. I don't know if you've seen my car, but it was recently wrapped. 
about a year ago and and it's a very cool color but everyone was like don't do your car don't do your car you're gonna ruin it and i'm like but i'm donating it to the cause and i got a dm from a friend who said i think i know the perfect person this means a lot to him he struggles with mental um illness and you know he he may be okay with it so he gave me his phone number i call chris who you know as az stinger um who owns that amazing teal car and he just we talked for over an hour and i wow. realized how much it meant to him and i said this is so perfect so can you come to my house let's measure your car i'll design the logo and we'll just, we'll put it on the car, but we needed to find someone to plot it out. So we had Rapsesh, a business that I used to work with as a business consultant. They're the ones who wrap my car. They yeah. ended up plotting it for us and donating their time for the cause, you know. Um, and he had the film already, so we didn't have to put any money out of our pocket. And there is some footage of us actually putting it on in my garage, the, me, my husband, and him. <laughs> This like six foot long, eight inch wide, a reason to stay. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> and everyone at these events got to sign it. And I could tell you, it was extremely emotional to see children, you know, um, young adults, um, you know, older folks, they were all signing it. They would all take a moment, you know, and think about what their reasons were to stay. And I thought, man, let's keep this going for like 30 days. So I asked Chris, can you donate your car for like 30 days and just go to all these events from here to California? And he's like, oh yeah, I might even leave it on longer. So That's awesome. That's so cool. Because I remember seeing, I remember when I saw that car and then walking out and then me signing it. And then um, my boyfriend, Dan, came as well, signed it. And just seeing everybody there and just being able to connect and see that this, this what the event is for you know, suicide prevention awareness and also, you know, getting to just chat with you a little bit, talk with, you know, Maggie from Reborn Social, you know, raising money for the app that she created, which I thought was really cool, is right. it allows people to have, you know, from my understanding, it, it allows you to have therapy sessions that are really affordable from anywhere virtually. So you could be in your home, you could be, you know, wherever and just making that more accessible to people because that's something too that you know, I feel like is definitely, definitely could be a barrier for a lot of people is the, the cost of therapy and doing oh and figuring God, yes. that out, especially, you know, whether you're like a college student or whatever it is. And, you know, just being able to see that and be at that event was super awesome. And I was, you know, just really excited that we got to connect and talk about that. Um, but I also, I really wanted to ask you something else. Cause I know that last time we talked, we had a really good conversation that actually went on for over an hour and I never, yeah. And I'm like, I never, usually when I do these calls, they don't last as long, but we talked and talked and talked and we were talking about so many things. Um, but one common. I, I know. I don't talk to people very often about this stuff. So yeah, and it's funny because I'm a huge advocate for it and I'm always wanting to talk about it, but you don't always meet people who are just as open as, you know, let's say we are, and mm -hmm. we don't even know each other. And the stuff we were telling each other on the phone call, I don't even think my parents know. <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. Cause I feel like, you, can relate. you know, it's <laughs> funny. Cause you know, I, I was very transparent about, you know, me being bipolar and my diagnosis and then you as well. And I feel like hearing the things that you were telling me and you said something, you said a lot of things that I wrote down that I'm like, <laughs> we're going to get it. We're going to talk about this. But one one of them 
um, I want to ask you about is we talked last time about the difference, the differences between uh, physical versus a mental disability. So I want to ask you, do, do you think a men, do you think a mental disability or illness, mental illness receives a different reaction or treatment from people compared to a physical one? And if so, why do you, why do you think that is? A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, the, the way that businesses, companies, the Olympics, schools, the community approaches um, disabilities or those who are handicapped, right? Is it's very visual a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And people, when they see that, they naturally say, how can I help you? And I think I said to you that if I was in a wheelchair and I had been approaching the door, let's say of a Starbucks or actually Dutch Bros, because I don't like Starbucks. <laughs> and I think that a lot of times people naturally, as you're approaching the door and you're visibly, you know, uh, handicapped or, or have a disability, they open the door for you mm -hmm. and they're very compassionate and understanding. But when you look at someone like myself or yourself, mm -hmm. right? Um, not everybody is like the news or the movies um, make out people who have mental disabilities. A lot of times you're walking around with this invisible um, illness that unless you tell somebody what you're going through, they would otherwise have no idea. Therefore, it makes it harder for you to A, you know, seek help, talk to people, or B, for people to offer to help you. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, not to, to jump the gun, but I, I know that like a lot of times when I tell people this, especially after this event, I think mm -hmm. so many more people in the community have reached out to me. Like, I had no idea you struggled with this stuff. Because pre-event, I really spoke a lot to my own personal experiences. And even after the event, the video that I made really talks about how much I struggled with trying to find help, affordable help, help now, not two mm -hmm. months from now, you know? Um, but a lot of times it makes it hard, even with my family, you know, when, when um, I talk to my dad, it's like, or my mom, a lot of times they don't quite grasp mm -hmm. that it's not something I can necessarily control without medication or therapy, that it's not something that um, is, is visible to them. So of course they look at me and they see me, you know, s smiling or like being hyper or being yeah. outgoing or, you know, I was fronting a rock band and doing all these things. So when people look at you and they see that, they, they don't know that you're, it takes me sometimes hours to get myself psyched enough to leave the house. Yeah, You know, it takes a long time for me to get out of my head a lot. And sometimes I'll be in my pajamas for days, but people don't see that side of things, you know? Yeah, and so I feel like that's so relatable too, that what you're saying right there is because I know, I know for me at least like, cause I know we still like don't really know each other that well, but when I yeah. came to the event and I saw you on the mic and all the energy you had and you were constantly smiling, running around, like so much energy, happy, excited. It's like, I feel like sometimes when people see that or they see a side of you that you're always showing to everybody, they don't yeah. really understand it when you say, you know, well, I was, you know, I was diagnosed bipolar and this is kind of where I was before. And this is what I went through. And sometimes it's hard because, you know, of how you seem on the outside or how you look and other people aren't really, you know, maybe they don't have, um, that much of an understanding of mental illness. Cause maybe they haven't been around a lot of people 
or they don't, they've just never been around period anything relating to that. And they don't know too much about it. So when, you know, you open up and say that they're like, you know, what, like, no way. Like, yeah. How is that? Like, even a thing for you and that you know it it is hard and I feel like you know the more that we continue to have these conversations and and you know make it more normal for people to talk about these things and I feel like it won't be looked at like you know so foreign or so like that's so hard to grasp or really believe it's very hurtful too like so I think um First, I wanted, something came to me when I was really, really sick and first diagnosed, you know, naturally I wanted to learn as much as possible about what this meant, but I felt so relieved, you know, knowing, oh, there's a name for this thing I've been dealing with. But Mm -hmm. I listened to um, Jim Carrey and he said, so I have a tattoo I got, which by the way, I don't remember getting this. That's how medicated I was. So (laughs) this says deep rest. Okay. Now that normally would be depressed, but the way he put it in deep rest is that when you have a mental illness or you have, um, you know, an episode, it's your body telling you it's tired of carrying around this avatar. Mm. So what I call my avatar is what you saw the day that you saw me on the mic, which Mm is, I have to get myself so like, you know, you could do this, Amy, come on, you know, like on the way out of the house, like, you know, to get pumped up just to leave the house and be in front of people. And then it's almost like I'm so anxious and so in my head that I get overly talkative, overly hyper. And I'm always making jokes, you know, it's like, I don't want somebody to stop and go, are you okay? Because mm-hmm. I'll probably fall apart and start bawling my eyes out, to be mm-hmm. honest. But he, when he said that to me, it hit me so deep because I was so down, like, I mean, so down in this like dark place that he was like, you have to understand that your body needs to take this time to recuperate. You have to dig deep in the trauma and start like getting yourself the help and the therapy you need and stop going and going and going and running from your demons and take some time to take a deep rest. And I was like, man, if anybody knows what he's talking about, it hit me so hard that I went out and got a tattooed on my body, which I mean, if you ever saw my tattoos, they're all extremely artsy, you know, like Mm -hmm. very colorful, but I never thought I would get ones on my arms, but that's how much it meant to me. And I think it really opened my eyes to the fact that that's why so many people, when I tell them what I struggle with, they look at me and they're like, no, because they're so used to seeing what is on TV or what they hear about in the news and what mental illness is supposed to look like, you know, mm-hmm. or be like. And I and they say these hurtful things like, oh, that girl must be crazy. She must be bipolar. She's all over the place. And I'll always say, hey, it's funny. I will. I'll go, hey, 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 I'm bipolar. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and then yeah. that's when they're like, wait, what? You are? And I'm like, Yes. And I'm like, there's different types of illnesses. You know, you need to educate yourself. There's a a lot of information out there that people, once I tell them I'm bipolar, I usually tell them you should probably read about it because you would be surprised how many people out there that you idolize that are athletes, that are singers, that are actresses, that are Mm -hmm. successful. 
and that you idolize that are struggling with this every single day and you had no idea but yet you're going to judge the woman down the street from you because she seems a little off today she's in her pajamas she seems a little irritated you're going to tell her she's crazy and then ignore her when really she needs you to pay attention and ask her if she's okay and if she needs help Mm-hmm. But if she came outside to get her newspaper in a wheelchair, right, and fell yeah. out of a wheelchair, you're having your newspaper off the driveway, <laughs> you'd say, oh my gosh, can I help you? Yeah, yeah, that's that's something else that I wanted to get into with you, kind of like your own personal experience with bipolar disorder, like both before and after you received a diagnosis. Cause I know that's something we also got into and we're talking about, you know, both our own our own personal things with that. Like, what was it like for you you know, the first time you heard bipolar disorder, because I know for me, like all the connotations I had, you know, growing yeah. up um, with that were extremely negative. And I just know that because I know, you know, my aunt is bipolar. And I remember hearing stories of, you know, she's just out of control, crazy, unstable, like can't like just doesn't want to be no one wants to be around her. I don't think no one wants anything to do with her. And just, it was so negative to me that I almost thought I'm like, but I would sit there and think and I would be like, how can someone possibly be at a point where they can't control themselves like what is that like what is I'm, I'm sitting there like what would that feel like and, and then finally when I experienced that I was just like like it's it's so weird to put that into words what that yeah. was like it, at that time um but I want to hear about you know your experience so like both before and after your diagnosis like what was your experience with bipolar disorder like so I think I think I've always so as a child I, I think I told you I was a lot different than my sisters and people that I knew. And I never really understood what made me different. Mm -hmm. Um, I was way more emotional than other people. I felt very, um, I now found out the word is empath, right? Um, I felt like I was constantly riding this wave of super hyperactive all the time, you know, entertaining everybody. Everybody thought I was going to grow up to be a comedian because I was like, if there was tension in my house or my parents were arguing or there was something going on, I would come downstairs with like a sombrero on and just Mm -hmm. like start playing my little two string guitar and try and make everyone laugh, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But then you would find me in my room, like door closed, like in this super dark space. And I remember even telling my little sister, and I'm like a little kid saying, I'm never going to, I'm never going to make it past my teenage years. And she would always be like, why? I'm like, I don't know. I just don't feel like I'm going to make it through. Like, I just feel like I'm, you know, I'm too um, sensitive and too hard on myself. And like, I would always have this little voice in my head. Not that I actually hear voices or anything like that, but it was always like, you're not good enough and you're stupid and, you know, you're not um, talented like your sisters. And I would get into these really dark really depressing moods and you start having like those i guess now i know the term is suicidal ideation but like what if i just disappeared would anyone care you know and i started to go see a therapist in high school or high school when i was 15 so it's um i remember uh her telling my parents um that i was a manic depressive and i had social anxiety and things like that And I think my parents knew I was a little kind of awkward when it came to socializing because I was either super hyper or very quiet with my head down. You know, my mom would always go, lift your chin up, lift your chin up. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I was always one or the other, you know, like 
super shy and quiet total introvert or the freaking social butterfly highlight of every event and show and Christmas party, like Mimi is the entertainer. Um, when they told my parents that I was manic depressive, I think that, you know, naturally being a Sicilian kind of family, you know, old school conservative, to them it was like, yeah, no, she just a, you know, hormonal teenager going through some rebellious phase and um so they didn't you know, accept it they were like no not at first no yeah. and then of course like it happened again in college where I had an episode and manic an episode in college and the teachers actually noticed it and sent me to the school psychiatrist um and I was in there probably more than I was going to class and he was like do your parents know that you have manic depression and I'm like I've heard this term before where did I hear it and I you know I'm going back and he's like I'm gonna put you on something called Paxo and I was self-medicating a lot previous to this, which, you know, I didn't realize what that really was. I always thought it was just experimenting, but I was trying to find a way to like level myself out, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but even then, you know, reaching out again to my parents and telling them what's going on, they didn't understand why you need to be on Paxo. Why are you having panic attacks? What do you mean? You know what I mean? So it was like, you just need to not be stressed out. You just need to, you know, not worry about the past and you know things that people normally say to you when when you're simply struggling with being stressed out there's a like it's difference. like it's they're trying to help you but they don't know how yeah so so I didn't really even know how and I didn't know back then you know the internet wasn't really I'm 41 years old so like today you can which be is like, crazy by the way yeah. that I, I <laughs> was like what like Today, you could Google everything and anything and like find everything out. Like back then, you had to go to the library. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I was too sick to leave my house, never mind go to a library, you know? Like, um, but you know, here I am, fast forward to 2018, my thyroid stopped working and it like amplified everything and anything I was already struggling with. And when I say amplified, I mean like it's become debilitating to the point where it's affected my my job and and everything else so um now finding out from a doctor and i got three different opinions because you know you hear it the first time and you hear that you need to be on these medications and and i'm a homeopathic i told you that i barely yeah. took Tylenol. like i'm really into home remedies when my son and I get sick because we're allergic to like everything, every antibody you can name. So in finding out that there's this name for it and that manic depression and bipolar is the same thing. Mm -hmm. And now in today's world with technology and with what was available to me, I am a big researcher and I became highly dedicated to finding out more, but I felt so validated that there you know, after hearing, okay, you've had this thing your whole life and now it's like really amplified and this is what it means to have a manic episode. And this is what happens with, you know, like between the spending of the money and like, you know, there's all these things that I started kind of putting all the pieces together and go, oh my gosh, like there's not something necessarily wrong with me, right? Because a lot of times people will think, oh, mental illness means that you know, you're incapable of all these things when really, I've been really changing the way that I think about it. And I think, well, I wouldn't be as creative as I was. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be as involved in the, the many things that I do, you know, in one day, I do more than some people can do in a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and although it's my downfall and it, 
can become very overwhelming. I almost started seeing it as like a superpower, you know? And I was like, wow, you know, I'm gonna try and find the positive in all this now that I understand it. And I'm gonna start educating other people. I'm gonna start educating my family and I'm gonna start educating my husband. Mm -hmm. So that way they can say, I'm noticing that you are this, this, and this. Like, are you okay? Because that's important to me to know because sometimes you don't realize you're even going through a manic episode. You don't yeah. recognize it. I've become so self-aware and I've educated so many people around me that even my own husband, like last week, he was like, I'm noticing that you're drinking a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you don't really drink anymore. You know, and I'm like, I, I am kind of good. This was before the event. Yeah. I'm like, I, and I've been kind of riding this wave, which is why I've just been titrated back up on medication, but we kind of caught things before it got really bad. Mm-hmm. And here I went to my doctor, we had a, a virtual meeting because that's how things is with COVID-19 these days. Mm-hmm. And he said, you are 100% going into a, a manic episode. We need to titrate you back on your medication. And he's like, I'm really proud of you because you caught it. Your husband caught it. And without yeah. that self-awareness and awareness and education, you know, it could get really bad. So the difference between now and then is just, I can now tell my parents, I'm on medication. This is what I have going on. Here's where you can go learn more information about it. And I feel like they've accepted it a lot more than they did when I was growing up, where I kept being told there's nothing wrong with you. You're just hormonal and rebellious. And now it's, okay, this is serious. We need to, as a family, come together and support you. And my family, if it wasn't for my family, my friends, and my husband and my son and all of these amazing things that I call my reasons to stay, that level of support is unfortunately not available to everybody. And I think between that and my doctors and my therapists and everything else, those, all of that combined really helps it feel like less of a disability and more of a, a way of life. You know? Yeah. And I relate like so much to everything you're talking about. And like, even the conversation we had before this, like I was like sitting there listening to you because I feel like the, one of the biggest things too, that you said right there is self-awareness. And having that self-awareness, because I know for me, like with my experience, that, that was something that I did not have for the longest time. And I feel like once you finally, you know, and I feel like, I think you said it too, when you got the diagnosis and you heard, you know, manic depressive, bipolar, it's the same thing, bipolar disorder. And you can actually, you, I feel like it kind of, for me too, when I got that, it did, I felt better knowing that this is what's going on. And that, that way you can, you can do research. You can look into yeah. it, you start to know, you know, your own self better yeah. and really like, you know, and that's another thing too, is educating the people around you, right? Your family, your friends, people who might not know about it and might want, maybe they want to learn more about what it is or what it's like, or what, you know, what you've experienced and really being able to do that is so helpful because I feel like so many people don't, don't, don't do that because of maybe yeah. like a fear or something. The stigma. And, yeah. and that's, that's what I want to get into. Yeah. Next with you is this, the stigma piece of that. Cause I wanted to ask you too. So for you, have you ever attached a stigma to being bipolar? And if so, what, what did you do to overcome that? I think that, you know, it stems from like the way you are raised and what you're exposed to. Mm-hmm. So 
again, like hearing my, my own family sometimes say, um, you know, things like, she's crazy. She needs to be on medication. She needs to be put in the, the, they call it the crazy house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I, I've been in that crazy house and yeah, so, me too. I know. I mean, and, 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 and to be honest, like, yeah, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. And I was scared crapless and I was afraid like, oh my gosh, this is what my life is going to be like. I'm going to be in and out of these institutions now. Like, but I I've come to like, you know, this realization that, you know, my, you know, my parents are old school. There's a, it, the thing about mental health is the more it becomes an, a, a pandemic itself, because it is right now, it's an epidemic of people committing suicide and there's so much coming out. The more the awareness that comes out, the more you realize that you're sitting in a room with people who are silently struggling with it. Mm-hmm. And then the more that my parents become exposed to it at work within their own family, it starts to kind of change the way they grew up and the mindset of like, you know, there's so many people culturally that do not accept that their families have these things and they keep it very quiet and to themselves as a family. They don't want the, the rest of the family to know or their friends to know because it's embarrassing. And it's, you know what I mean? It like yeah. degrades their level of like, and so I think that, uh, yeah, of course, the way I grew up and the way that I was told there's nothing wrong with you, you're just hormonal. It's like, okay, maybe I'm not this because it's so ugly and evil and dark. Like mm-hmm. my family and me, well, we, don't want, we don't want it to be that. It can't be that, you know? Um, I even felt like because my parents are huge churchgoers at one point in time, like I needed to have like, what do they call those things? Like an exorcism. Like I felt like I had a demon (laughs) inside of me and that I'm I'm not even kidding. Like I really thought I was possessed as a child. Like I was like, what is this darkness? Yeah. What is wrong with me? So, you know, I think that, um, stigma a hundred percent is also what keeps so many people from saying anything. And then when they do get diagnosed, it's, so hard to comprehend and I feel for men because society is like so unaccepting of men being emotional or having feelings or crying or being weak per se so they don't seek help as much and they don't um you know get the the validation or the acknowledgement that they deserve when they're not okay it's always man up you'll be fine brush it off you know um so but as a female and, and as somebody who I, um, you know, I've always been a fighter. I always say like, uh, I'm a little bit of a, a, um, a tough cookie to the point where I've always kind of fought for what I thought was right. And once I found out I, I had bipolar and that it was something that I was connected to my whole life, not only did I feel validated, I felt like it was my duty to make sure that my parents understood like your own daughter okay mm-hmm. has this thing that you look at other people and be like oh that's mm, she's crazy she mm-hmm. she and they say the word she must be bipolar you know yeah. they yeah. see these mass shootings on tv and it's oh this person's bipolar schizophrenic like even my own son had someone say to him you know oh my mom's bipolar she's she's completely crazy and she did this and she did that. And he came home and he was like, mom, you're bipolar, right? And I was like, yeah. He goes, so are you going to do this and this? And he's and, 10. And I'm like, he's 10. He's 12 now. He's but 12. I was like, who said this stuff to you? And, yeah. and it's, that's why talking about it 
and bringing awareness to it and what it really means and how you can live every day with it and no one will ever know mm -hmm. is, is so important because um, I take offense when people say things like, you know, oh, bipolar, she's crazy, this, that, and the other thing because I would never do some of the things that some of these other people who are struggling with a deeper mental illness mm -hmm. and, and having their psychosis and things like when parents say, or people, I won't say parents, but I say parents because my dad said it once too, people who commit suicide are weak. Mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, okay. I'm like, that's a, that's a whole nother conversation. But I said, you know, you have to understand that it's an illness. Yeah. I when think that's get, right. I'm like, once you comprehend that in that moment, you are not yourself, you are not okay. You could be completely in, in this utter state. There's two, I always say there's two things that I've personally experienced with being completely numb mm -hmm. or in so much pain and in such a dark place that that is a sense of relief. Yeah. No different than a cancer patient or someone who is on their way out who says, you know, I need, what do they call it? Like where they assist you with, with passing away? The uh, medical, medically. Yeah. Uh, what is it called? Yeah. Where I just feel like at the end of the day, there's an understanding on my part because I've read so much about it and I've experienced so much mm -hmm. myself that yes, it's a horrible place to be. And the reason a lot of people get there and they do it successfully, I think, is that lack there of support. And, and yeah, and exactly. Exactly. And I feel like, you know, when you brought up, yeah, when you brought up that point of people who, you know, don't, you know, with the stigma, stigma piece of that, you know, yeah. when someone, you know, like you said, like your dad, I know for, for me, you know, I remember growing up, my mom was like that with her sister who was bipolar, you know, okay, she's crazy. She won't take medication. Just all of these things that would come up and I would hear this and I would sit there and be like, this doesn't, this just sounds so bad and just, just like something. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, why would anybody who has this want to talk about it? Right. If people are looking at you and saying, you know, all these things, it's like, that's what made me think, let sit there and think, you know, if somebody is going through this, why would they want to come out and talk about it, ask for help if everybody around them and their environment is like, that's, that's weakness, you know, that's, you're crazy or, or whatever thing you want to call it, you know, that's kind of, you know, what I took away from that. And I feel like that's what really contributes to so much more of the issues that you're seeing, right? When you, when you turn the news on and you're seeing, you know, shootings and different people getting killed and things like that, and you're sitting there watching this, but then people watching are like, well, that person, you know, is probably crazy or this or that. And it's like, well, what if that person got, treatment or some, you know, maybe they, maybe they never even oh, got a diagnosis or anything, you know, you're so that's just reminding me of something too. Yeah. So a lot of times you'll hear this and this makes me so angry. What you'll is it? Hear, <laughs> you'll hear on the news an interview with the mother or the, the neighbors. Okay. The mom, dad, the neighbors, whoever will say things like, I always thought he was a little off. Or I always thought he was in his room too much, or he did seem like he was going through something, but we just didn't know. Or mm -hmm. the neighbors would say, yeah, you know, we would see him walking around in the streets and we wouldn't let our kids play with him because we just didn't, we just thought he was a little off. Mm -hmm. 
So now you have somebody who needs help being rejected by an entire community, including their entire family, with absolutely no support or help or understanding. They're being bullied, they're being made fun of, which is a recipe for disaster. And yeah. I think that one of the things that really makes me angry is the term, it takes a village to raise a child. Back in the day, people used to live all on the same street, including my family. Aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews, grandmas, everybody looked out for each other. Mm -hmm. And if your kid was over so-and-so's house, they would call and be like, hey, are you feeding my kids tonight? Yeah, okay, cool, you're good, we're good. If your kid did something bad, their mom and dad would reprimand you and dis uh, discipline you no differently than they would their own kids. Now, yeah. everyone's afraid to discipline each other's kids. They're afraid to talk as parents. They're afraid to say, hey, is your child struggling because they don't want to offend you? Everybody's so happy. Everybody's, you know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. there's no longer a village looking out for our kids. So a lot of times we have children growing up at a very young age dealing with the stuff they become teenagers they start going through teenager things and you know there's always that that kid that everyone will always say oh we just kind of stayed away from him oh we just kind of made sure that you know like we didn't get involved and it's that's the opposite mm -hmm. of what people who are struggling need they need someone to teachers they say things like yeah he didn't really socialize very much yeah he was always sitting by himself what, I where, really, where is yeah, the support? like where the perception, support? the perception of that, that's something else that I want to ask you about too. So the, the, the perception of being bipolar. So I know last time we talked, we both shared, you know, many people in our lives were shocked or in a state of disbelief to learn that we are bipolar. So wh why do you think that is like, why do you think that is? And why do you think others with bipolar disorder experience this? Because of literally the lack there of, um, you know, information out there and education and the, me the media, number one, like I said, movies, television, they always, you know, make it so that these are the crazy people in straitjackets. That's mm -hmm. what you see. You're like, you're, you're not this person. And you're, I'm like, you're right. I'm not in this moment. Could I ever get there? Potentially. Yeah, but that that depends on whether I get the help I need and you help me, right? Mm -hmm. That is a possibility. There, so I think that um, you know when you tell people that it's a visual thing. I, I'm going to go back to the the handicap or being in a wheelchair. I just feel like there is because it's not something that is obvious, right? It's not what they all see on TV. It's not the person who's walking down the street talking to themselves all of the time, right? It's yeah. not, because I lived in the city and you would see those people out on the streets living homeless and they're, they're seeing things and they're talking to someone who's not there. And that was everyone's perception of being, you know, schizophrenic, bipolar, all of these things. Not this person who is helping the community, who is working and teaching people, who is always laughing and being comedic, you know, like who still looks like I put myself well together, you know, yeah. like a lot of times people imagine you being like crazy hair and, you know, makeup mm -hmm. running down your face and fingernails all bitten off. And of course that can be a part of the illness, but do most people see that? No, because you keep yourself locked up in, you know, your own home most of the time when you're going through those phases. So a lot of times, like now, you know, I'm struggling with one of my medications. I've spent like the last two days in my pajamas 
And even though I slapped on my avatar, right, for the podcast. I know, I know. <laughs> which I really didn't want to do, right? Because part of me was like, let's let people see what Mimi looks like when she's a hot mess. Because that is part of what I deal with on a regular basis. But I know, and it's, it's, a re- it's real. It's real. It's, it's not know, what people me. think it is, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. It really isn't. It isn't. There's so many famous people that have come out. Um, I want to say Halsley. She's a singer. Halsey. 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 Yeah. She has bipolar. And there's um, the other girl, the other singer, um, the Latino girl with really long, long hair. I know Catherine Zeta-Jones. She's an actress. She, I, I feel like you, so can, you can literally Google and look up and all see so people. many, right? All the people. And you're like, you'll see that and you'll see the list. And you'll be like, you're like, what? Like how? Like, and I feel like both me and you, I feel like both of us get that because we've experienced that. Right. So like whether, you know, even the example you gave where you were like, you know, you could be out with people and someone is like, oh, like the weather is so bipolar today or that, you yeah. know, whatever. And you're like, and then, what is that? And then you're like, you know, you're like, oh, I'm bipolar. And they're like, what? Like, it's like the first time they're hearing that doesn't really, it doesn't really register. And I feel like, you know, it's, it's so funny to me because I feel like, you know, when you, when you're the person and like, you've experienced that, like, it's, it's almost like, it's just like another day to you, you know, you're like, oh, oh, you didn't know. And I'll tell you, and I'll tell you, you know, here's some of my story and whatever. Um, but you know, I think that, it's, it is hard sometimes. Cause I know for me, before I was diagnosed bipolar and when I was younger and when I didn't really know a lot about it, that's how I would feel about it. Right. Be like, I would be that person to be like, why is she acting like that? Why is she talking mm-hmm. like that? Why isn't she or just, you know, why, like, like, Oh, she has issues or she needs help or, yeah, you yeah. know, like, I'm not going to talk about behind someone's back. If I see them struggling and be like, dang girl, that girl needs help. You know, I'm the person that goes and sits at the lunch table with the person sitting by themselves and be like, Hey, what's going on today? What you got going on? Mm -hmm. You know? And I think there needs to be more of that. There needs to be more people willing to notice that somebody is not obviously is not okay and stop rejecting it and stop blaming it on hormones Mm -hmm. and stop blaming it on, you know, whatever it may be. And as a parent, if my son was struggling with this stuff, because I do, you know, now know that these things can be hereditary, right? Mm -hmm. Like panic disorder, you can pass this stuff down to your children. And so, you know, I think that if your child's supposed to be taking medication, because another thing I'll hear on the news after these mass shootings is, well, you know, he hasn't been taking his medication. It's like, okay, mom and dad, like, what were you thinking? allowing your child who, and and a lot of times I think that two therapists, they should also make it a point that when you find out that you are, um, you know, diagnosed with these things to have your family come in for a therapy session Mm -hmm. together as a group and sit down and say, this is what this means. This is what you should do. And and also say to these family members, if you ever want to call me as a doctor on the side and say, I'm noticing that so-and-so is especially when you're, you're dealing with a minor, you know, and let's say I'm like, Oh, I want to give permission for my husband or my son to give you a call and say, I'm noticing that, you know, Mimi's going through this or that or whatever, because it's important for the people around you to be just as involved with your doctors and your, and your, um, diagnosis and your therapy and your medications, 
just like anyone else would if you were handicapped. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no, I agree with you on that 100% because I know if I could reflect back, you know, when I was younger, like you said you were in therapy at 15. I was going, I went at 16, started at 16. And I remember thinking like if I could have had you know, like my, cause I feel like my dad, my dad's always been very supportive and like very understanding, but I feel like at the same time, like he doesn't really, you know, know what's going on, but he's, he's still there. Right. Supportive. But then I know my mom was like super, like not ne- very more negative about things towards me. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, that would, that would have definitely probably done a lot more for me. Like if I was younger, if I did have, you know, cause I remember I would go to therapy and I remember being like, like, oh, like, why don't we all go? And then they were like, no. And I feel like it's because like the point that you brought up of, you know, if you're from a family and your, your kid is bipolar, depressed, schizophrenic or whatever, you don't really want to bring that up because it's not like a pretty topic to bring up right to the neighbors or whatever. Like, you know, no one wants to really do that. And I feel like, you know, the more that you become comfortable with that and actually are like not so afraid and ashamed of people judging you or because I, I yeah. sit there and I'm like what is the worst thing that could happen to be honest like what is what is literally the worst thing that could happen if someone knows that uh, girl I've gotten, so, and I've gotten so and it's used to like the side of but I, I think that I've gotten so used to being comfortable with other people's uncomfortableness that I've also learned that a I've lost friends mm-hmm. I've lost jobs because literally people don't understand that I don't have control over it. Mm-hmm. And that if you do not educate yourselves, I can tell you, I have bipolar. This is what it means. This is what happens. This is what I'm on. Okay. This is, I can give you all that information, but if it doesn't actually absorb, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. When you start becoming manic or you start going through these things, they will treat you like, your work ethic sucks. They will treat you like you're a bad person and you're, you're, you're forgetful and you're, you're not doing what you used to do. There's something wrong. And, and I honestly have dealt with it so much that it's kind of like, wow, even when you're open and you tell people, not everybody is going to actually understand what that fully means. Some people will go, I understand. I have a family member who deals with it or, oh, I understand. I have so-and-so that's also dealing with that or, oh, I understand because I'm dealing with that, you know? Yeah. Then you have other people who are like, oh yeah, I deal with anxiety too. I get it. And I'm like, I didn't say, I said bipolar. (laughs) Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, like I have anxiety too. It's a totally separate thing, but they'll say, oh yeah, you know, just smoke some weed or something and you'll be okay. And I'm like, "Mm, no, it doesn't work like that. You know? So a lot of times I I agree. I totally get it. You just have to get used to people either yeah, accepting I get it. Accepting you it. do. You really do. And I feel like that that is something that, you know, you have to deal with for sure, a hundred percent. But you know what? I am happy that we got to dive into this today. Really have this conversation and, you know, touch on these things and really hear from you you know, your perspective on this, your experiences with this and, you know, what, what you've learned and what it's done for you in your life in different areas of the things that you're working on, you know, um, just, I wanted to say thank you to you, Mimi, for, you know, making the time to do this. And I know that you're not, you're not really feeling well, but you look great. You sound great. Did great. (laughs) This is a great episode and I'm excited to drop this on Monday. And I know, 
I know it's great. And I know it's going to help a lot of people who get to tune in and listen and hear parts of our stories. But, you know, I was just excited to connect, to make this happen. And yeah. So yeah, I mean, thanks for, for making this, making this happen today. Anytime, you know, like I want, I don't want people to think that, um, you know, my parents are horrible people. No. Yeah. You know, my, my people that I've come across that have, that have kind of, uh, you know, not quite understood this. I think it, it really what it is, it's like, we're growing, we're growing as, uh, the human, um, you know, I, I, it's just human nature. I think that just needs to slowly like evolve with evolution and the thought about it. It's, you know, even the way things have been changing with, uh, let's say service animals, you know, like ESAs are now allowed on planes and there's so many things that are changing that it's only going to get better. And that's why I Boom. tell people to hold right on. That's what your reason is to stay is, is that this is becoming a hot topic. And at first I was almost like, gosh, I feel like everybody has mental illness. And I almost got offended by it. I was like, yeah, are you lying? Are you <laughs> looking for attention? And then I realized like, no, this is this this you can go to the grocery store and you're going to see many people with disabilities visibly mm-hmm. the 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 silent side of this is what made so many people realize that um there are more people than you know struggling with it yeah. and the more we educate the more we bring awareness the more we talk about it the more we um you know do these events and do these yeah, bring things that, that bring that silent Bring that yeah. silence out, silent, right. silent side out into yes. reality, so more people can and be crush that realize that. Off. Yes, yeah. exactly, a hundred percent. That's that's what we're here for. That's what we're yeah. doing, and that's what we're gonna keep doing. So, yeah. thank yeah, you so, for yeah. having me on this amazing podcast. Thank Jay for bringing yes. us together. Thank you, Jay. Hard Parking Podcast. Check him out. He is great. Yeah. Um, but yes, this episode I'm excited to put out, and I want to say to everyone listening, I hope that you have a beautiful day, a beautiful night, whatever time it is when you're listening to this. And all right, everyone. All right, Mimi. Yay. Yeah. Bye. Thank you so much for having me. I'm yes. looking forward to, you know, going back and listening to this myself. Of course. <laughs> All right. I'll talk with you later. All, <laughs> All right. right. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, that is the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I enjoyed creating it. As always, if you guys would like to get in touch with me to talk about becoming a guest or to share your thoughts on this episode with me, you can do that in a number of ways. You can shoot me an email to crookedillness at gmail.com. You can send me a DM on Instagram at crookedillness, or you can message me on my Facebook page at crookedillness as well. I hope you guys have a beautiful rest of your day and thank you so much for listening to Crooked Illness.